Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzoo Vine for October 28, 2018. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Schiffel. Good evening, sir. All right, good to have you all on. Uh, just a little bit of business. Um, we were supposed to have Doug Kaplan of Gravis Marketing as our guest. Uh, he just texted us a moment ago. He has a sick child, so obviously you got to take care of your family first, and we wish a speedy recovery to uh, whichever of the young Kaplans is under the weather, and we'll hope to have uh, Doug on another time in the near future. Um, but we have a lot to talk about, some of exciting political races and some of it very tragic news, and I just don't think there's any other way um, to start than talk about what happened really throughout the week, and then what happened on Saturday, um, I guess taking it chronologically, is best. Um, We had heard about all week these pipe bombs being sent to different political and then later um, celebrity figures and I guess you'd say the donor class at times. And it was just a myriad of people that are more progressive that all have one thing in common. Donald Trump has gone after them either on Twitter or in speeches, and they were sent these pipe bombs. Very, very fortunately, none of them um, ever detonated, but it was really scary when you saw the vehicle. They picked up the one at Robert De Niro's house. It was this um, globish-type object that looked like it was um, a cement mixer truck, uh, except ten times as uh, thick, and it was, I guess, more rounded. It was like the opposite of a submarine to hold in the pressure if the pipe bomb exploded. Fortunately, none of them detonated. They did find the individual, Caesar, and I do not recall his last name, um, lived in Fort Lauderdale, worked in Fort Lauderdale, um, and he had quite a strange, um, scary van that he apparently used to make these things in. It wasn't just his work van or his transportation mode, but he actually used this as where he um, you know, was doing the the creation of these devices. Uh, Tim, I know you've been following the news, I guess, more closely than any of us uh, with your schedule. Uh, what else can you add to this? Well, um, definitely the the case with the attempted bombing assassinations, uh, all you have to do is look at the list of targets, the Obamas, the Clintons, CNN, Eric Holder, Maxine Waters, George Soros, uh, Robert De Niro, Cory Booker, Joe Biden, Andrew Cuomo. These are all people that uh, the president has criticized, sometimes in rather graphic terms, and have been uh, critical of the president. 
Um, there's no doubt that these people were targeted for that reason, even though the uh, alleged bomber um, is, is not uh, really uh, cooperating in any way. We we know all about him now, uh, who he is. Um, that 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 he was a big supporter of, of, of Donald Trump, uh, Cesar Sayop. Uh, he's 56 years old. This van he had that you mentioned looked like the, the one of the best things I heard about it. It looked like what Steve Bannon would turn into if he was a transformer. If that makes any any sense to anybody, but uh, this is, you know, guys, you got to go all the way back to the day that Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. I suppose to see anything that we can even remotely compare this to. This man literally tried to assassinate um, the leadership, or much of the recent leadership of the Democratic Party, certainly the recent leadership of the previous two administrations and some of their top supporters. Uh, This is just horrific, and I'm sure there'll be more in a moment on our uh, president's reaction to all of it. Yeah, Yeah, I'm trying to take his step by step. Sad Catherine, um, just let's stick with the uh, Caesar Sayot, I believe it, Tim told me his mm-hmm. last name, um, and his van and his uh, attempted pipe, or he created the things. Um, what are your thoughts on all this? Well, you know, like Tim said, this is the, you know, uh, lo- the largest uh, assassination attempt. In our in, in our history, well, you know, near, certainly in our modern history, um, and I don't think I, I'm kind of surprised by the reaction that um, people aren't more outraged by the fact that this was. I mean, there's no doubt that it was incited by by the um, rhetoric of our president. I mean. Uh, and and then for well we're going to talk about the reaction in a minute um, but it's outrageous and it was very scary as someone who works in an organization that um, often is targeted by things like this you know we had to ramp up our security at Planned Parenthood Southeast and we had to worry about um, the mail I mean, we always think about it but it was uh, it, it's scary and it's um, you know, this fear-mongering, especially so close to an election, is alarming. Um, it's just, it, 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 it's all around scary and outrageous. Yeah, um, and, and obviously, you know, very fortunately, a lot of the individuals on this list um, either have set secret service protection or have a large, um, you know, bank account, if you will, so that they can afford security. But um, in the case of, like, you know, CNN, I guess you mailed it. But, you know, what if he took this thing down to CNN Center? Uh, think of all the people that could have been hurt um, just randomly um, 
that, that wouldn't even necessarily have been his targets, although I guess in his mind, so deranged, anybody willing to go eat at Taco Bell or uh, Chick-fil-A at CNN Center might be one of his targets, um, you know, uh, that, that kind of thinking. Um, but just total derangement. And I, I kind of was thinking about this, and actually my minister at church, he kind of really spoke against both incidents. And an image came in my mind listening to the sermon. You remember the old commercial where it said, this is your brain, this is your brain on drugs, and the egg yolk, um, you know, was fried in the yeah. pan. To me, you take an individual like this, and then you put their brain on this right-wing rhetoric, and you get, I'm going to say both these individuals, we're not ready for the next incident yet, but you, you get, um, you, this is what you get, people um, that are just, obviously searching for something and then they grasp onto this and this is where they go um tim i think you're wanting to go ahead and move on to you know donald trump's um you know i guess denials in a lot of ways because people tried to say well look he he had you know your picture and praised you and went to your rallies and and i think he used some very light term like this is the guy that liked me better than some you know, just the, the most ridiculous um, response to it. Uh, what are some of your thoughts on how Donald Trump, um, you know, reacted to this? Oh, Donald Trump, my goodness. Uh, sometimes it's almost impossible to even try to explain what Donald Trump is even thinking when sometimes it doesn't seem like he even knows what he's what he's thinking uh uh so the responses of some of his supporters were even more just off the wall you know we talked about him this week like Lou Dobbs and people on social media with these false flags and uh Donald Trump absolutely complaining about the news media covering the bombings instead of the things he wanted to talk about and he's and he said it's thrown the Republicans were searching at the polls and it's thrown them off their game and la di da di da like how dare this bombing come up and interrupt this and Furthermore, how dare you people spend all this time uh, talking about it when realistically anyone with any mind at all would, would, would understand you could really talk about little else considering the just historical magnitude uh, of, of what happened with this thing. Imagine, as you said, some of those had gone off. And, and Trump's reaction to it, it was... Seriously, what I just said. Uh, you know, the president's supposed to, well, um, uh, never mind what a normal president's supposed to do. We don't have that, do we, Catherine? No, we do not. Mm. And the other the other comments he made that were, I mean, it was laughable, but it's so tragic that it's not funny, was that, you know, he was talking about unity and how we have to come together and, you know, no one wants this kind of, I'm like, what? I, I, I'm, I'm listening to this and I'm like, what is he talking about? He, you know, he's the one who, you know, 
gets the crowd riled up, you know, lock her up and, you know, there's a, I saw a tweet by a reporter who was at a rally and they were like coming at him during this rally. It's like, how, how can, and then he, you know, he suspended his criticism of the media and of Maxine Waters and Hillary Clinton for one speech and then he was right back at the, the media the next day. So it's yeah. just um, it, it it's unbelievable, really. If I'm not mistaken, on Friday night at the speech, um, the locker up chant got started, and then he said something like, "They're going to get angry about y'all," you know, kind of laughing it off. Not not anything remotely close to what John McCain would have done. Uh, based on how he reacted to similar situations from supporters. And then um, also CNN sucked that uh, they started that um, old favorite too, uh, given that CNN um, was one of the recipients of the bombs. Just kind of a side note since uh, this related to CNN, MSNBC is seen as the more liberal of the two networks. Um, you know, three, I guess we're going to include Fox News, but that's pretty obvious that they're not the most liberal of the three. Um, but CNN usually seems to take the brunt of the criticism from Donald Trump and from um, his supporters instead of MSNBC. Catherine, I'll ask you first. Do you have any idea why they target CNN over MSNBC when it seems like it would make more logical sense to target them equally? And I just mean criticizing, obviously not what this this crazy did in Florida, but uh, or pick out NBC more. I don't know. I've wondered that same thing myself, and I don't know what the answer is. I don't know anything about the the um, markets. You know who who's got more um, viewers and listeners between CNN and MSNBC, but I don't really know. I've been puzzled by that as well. Like, you'd think they'd want to go no. after Rachel Maddow. David, are you with him? Yeah, I, I am. I don't know if I want a bad spot. Tim, any thoughts on why CNN over MSNBC? You know, I, I understand why Trump supporters do CNN over MSNBC, because he does. They They, they parrot what he does. If he says CNN sucks, well, then they say it. If he attacks CNN, then they do it. Why he chose to attack CNN, unless he considered them uh, a bigger adversary. And in Donald Trump's mind, I could see where he might would see things that way, especially since uh, we're on... MSNBC, you're going to see more of your uh, liberal audience, and you're going to see more of uh, liberal, pretty liberal guests. And where you're going to see a mix on CNN, including some Republicans who are extremely critical uh, of Donald Trump. Um, a, lo- a lot of the... Uh, Routine contributors that are Republicans on on CNN are very critical of of Donald Trump, and that that's about the only thing I can figure. Uh, unless Trump also wishes to keep the parent network NBC 
staying kind of good with them so he can use them, you know, to for interviews and things like that. So That's what I thought, Tim. You drop the MS and you get NBC, and that's where the right. apprentice was. And there may be residuals, and they're related right. to CNBC, and he still kind of works with some of that crowd with his financial advisors. And mm-hmm. so I, I thought the same thing, that it, it might have an, a universal-type reason that he um, – you know, goes after CNN. Of course, that's probably a little scary for us in Atlanta because if he brings all that on to them, they're headquartered in Atlanta. They're actually going to move, I believe, some more headline news back to Atlanta. Um, so that's um, another scary thing to think about. One question to see if either one of y'all know, because I haven't heard, and they may not even want to tell. Does anybody, have they been able to analyze how effective uh, these pipe bombs were? Like, were they so crappy they would have never gone off and that's what i really hope i really hope he stunk at making pipe bombs or were they really very like if somebody would have opened the package 99 percent sure it would have gone off has there been any analysis um spoken about um anywhere Catherine, have you heard and then tim yeah on good morning america they had a um a you know former fbi agent bomb specialist who um, said that they were certainly dangerous, but they were not very well made and that um, they weren't as, they weren't as dangerous as they could be had they been more uh, strategically designed, I guess. I don't know, but um, nevertheless, whether or not they were, well designed they still it created a bunch of fear it does it almost doesn't matter to me that they went off or didn't go off they there was an uh intention for them to wreak havoc so but i think there was some question about the um skill involved in the building of the bombs yeah Tim, did and you hear that really, i mean yeah, it didn't change the fact what, what what the intent was, definitely. Tim? Well, yeah, I mean, you, you figured this fellow um, maybe got his ideas for building pipe bombs off the Internet. Uh, pipe bombs uh, can be correctly built and can do devastating things, uh, um you know the funny thing someone said they were glad that that he was better at finding out Joe Biden's middle name than he was at constructing pipe bombs um thank goodness they didn't go off the columbine bombers uh had made like a hundred of those things and i don't know if they would have gone off or not but my point there is that pipe bombs are not that hard to construct. He just missed a, a, a step or two. Like I said, probably learned it off the Internet. Imagine if they had have gone off or any of them had gone off. And, of course, the Justice Department is staying pretty tight-lipped about how effective they were or would have been if they had been opened a certain way and this and that. Now, but i got to figure they weren't very um, – they weren't very well done. They were, you know, they were jostled around in the mail and everything else. So, uh, 
Yeah, that's, thank that's goodness really he wasn't very good at it because he could have really done some massive, massive, massive damage, even more yeah, so I than mean, that's, Yeah, you, you worry about more of the, the transit because obviously if something comes to, you know, Barack Obama's house, you know, in somebody's magic marker with a Sharpie, the address, or whatever, the Secret Service is going to look at that before the person, but it's, you know, just somebody, you know, moves it wrong in the mail. Um, you know, who knows what can happen, or if it goes to someone that doesn't have that security, um, that's further down the political totem pole, if you will. Yeah. Well, let's um, sadly move on to the next day. It's as much as we're like, what a horrible major story this is. Um, then the next day we hear about a shooting um, on Saturday morning. And, and honestly, I mean, we've seen so many shootings at schools, at concerts. And and so the shooting part of it, until you found out the motive and the intent and the background of the individual, you think, sad, it's just another, you know, one of these shootings. But then you find out that the person was a white nationalist, and uh, it was very motivated because the people were Jewish, and it put on a new complexion um, to this tragedy. People did lose their lives, um, you know, in Pittsburgh on Saturday morning. Um, Catherine, your thoughts on, I guess it was Squirrel Hill area of Pittsburgh and the synagogue. It's just shocking again, you know. Imagine you're carrying out your usual Saturday morning going to temple, being with your friends and fellow, uh, you know, it's just, it's horribly sad and um, just a terrible, another terrible indicator of uh, the hatred that exists in our country today. It's, it was very, very sad and 11 people, like I heard this morning, lost their lives. 11 people. I don't know yeah. what else to say about it. Yes, definitely so. And, and Tim, we had an incident that it, it was similar, but to me, because this was an adult that seemed to have more you know, political rhetoric around it, it, it was similar to the incident a few years ago in South Carolina. But that was a, a younger boy that um, – or, or young man, depending on his age. But, I mean, he, he obviously was very – misguided you could tell there was other things going on with him than just um you know racial or, or um ethnic or religious hate we're like with this individual this individual seemed much more politically um aware sounds like a bad word because if you're aware you you have some you know decent thoughts but but more politically minded if you will oh absolutely and um Whereas you, you had mentioned the term white nationalist. Now, that's a term that's become very popular during the administration of Donald Trump with guys like Steve Bannon and, and the Breitbart crowd and stuff like that, and even Trump himself to a certain extent. They are white nationalists, too. What they believe is that, uh, you know, white people should dominate this country's government, and they mean to make sure that happens through legislative uh, measures. The guy that did this was beyond that. Uh, he was a white supremacist. So, like when he was in the hospital while he was in custody, 
um, he he told a, a SWAT officer now that was guarding him that he wanted all the Jews to die because they were committing genocide against his people. Um, this guy actually thought that the Jew is the enemy and I've got to go kill Jews. Um, I, I guess I'm naive, but I, I really never wanted to believe something like this could happen to Jewish people in this country, uh, uh, an attack such as this. That, I, I wanted to believe this sort of thing went on in the Nazi Germany of the 30s and 40s and, and couldn't possibly go on now. But here we are with the worst attack ever on the Jewish people on American soil. And while they're in synagogue, three congregations in there, uh, and I, it's my understanding if he had come about uh, 20 minutes later, there'd have been about twice that many people there. Um, uh, uh, what's really scary is, as far as we know, guys, we we don't have any knowledge, or I don't think law enforcement had any knowledge that this Bowers guy was on their radar at all, um, as far as doing something like this, um, there's a website called, what is it, gab.com, and a lot of guys of this type that have been, you know, kicked off of Facebook, Twitter, and such as that for making inflammatory statements, well, they can go there and hook up, and he obviously had made some, you know, remarks and basically said enough of this talking i'm gonna go do something (laughs) well he sure did didn't he yes most definitely and and i'll tell you um bringing it kind of home for i guess because it's in the state of georgia all three of us but tim where you worked and were born and and raised and where i now live i found out this morning the synagogue in rome has had two different um hate messages on their front door um, right. In the past year or two, um, right. so this is not, so, you know, isolated. This is all over the country. People have these hateful thoughts. Fortunately, and hopefully it'll stay that way. Only one place was acted upon, um, and that's what you have to. And that's what kind of scares me with these two incidents coming back to back. You would think that this second Bowers fella might have seen what happened to the guy in Florida and said, oh, no, I better stand down. But could he have been emboldened? It was like, oh, well, this one guy d- didn't succeed. I better go ahead. Or more people are doing this. I, I better do this uh, more. And and that kind of scares me because could we have not copycats but maybe more these sleeper cell folks come out of the woodwork um, because they think this is what needs to be done, and their leader, Donald Trump, didn't denounce them in any way, you know, any strong terms at all. Um, Tim, it sounds like you have some something to say, and I'll let Catherine. Yeah. Um, you know, there's been a lot of inflammatory rhetoric about this, what they're calling a caravan of refugees coming up through Mexico. Uh, last I count, I had 3,600 of them. Um And there's even been talk that George Soros, among others, 
has funded these people, paid for it as a political <laughs> issue. There's, there's people actually talk this nonsense. And this guy apparently got all wound up over that, that, that the Jews were, were, were causing all of this, and he needed to go do his part to stop them. And uh, that's, that's, that's what set him off. So that's the thing he had going on. Yeah, and and Catherine, I just wish that some of these people would get angry about this caravan. Get angry that these poor people can't stay in their home country. They don't feel safe because these drug lords who have made a lot of those countries unsafe in places, and then, of course, bring their crap to our country and every other country on the globe, and have ruined it for everybody. That's who everybody would be mad at It's the drug lords, but that's because of the content of their character not the color of their skin, to paraphrase Dr. King. <laughs> this, the, all the uh, brouhaha over, these, over the caravan is, uh, I mean, when I hear that, I, I, if you just look at the people, if George Soros was funding this, don't you think he would make sure they had water? <laughs> and clean... I mean, really, the man's a billionaire. If he was going to fund this, he wouldn't have them, you know, without any, you know, proper facilities, and there would be some medical care. I mean, and look at them. They are families and children, a lot of children with mothers and no fathers with them. It's, it, they are not to be feared. They are be, to be embraced and um, show some compa- compassion for it's just unbelievable and it's not even that many people compared to the total um, immigration from that part of the of the world I, it's the whole thing it's just a hot button it's easy to attack them because they're all together and they're you know walking and you can look at them as a group disgusted by it I'm just disgusted by it yeah, I mean, if we had a real leader, he might call up um, the leaders of those countries and say, what can we do to make this environment better? Um, because if we, right. if we do something about the drug lords, it helps us all. You know, you, we talk about the opioid addiction, but now people are starting to get back into meth. Meth is coming from some of these countries. I mean, it all fits together to where – uh, it benefits us all if we handle it together. And that's why, you know, it gets back into things like the UN and having treaties with other countries and actually working as a world citizen, which uh, Donald Trump and a lot of his um, political thought leaders uh, don't agree with. Um, so it's very sad. Well, well I mean, it also hopefully has to do this... with... Go ahead. It also has to do with health care in this country because a lot of, the, a lot of people are... Um, you know, they get hooked on opioids, then they can't get any more opioids, so they go to, they move on to heroin, and then, you know, and it's because they don't have proper treatment. We haven't, uh, we don't have proper treatment for pain and for uh, treating these addiction, this addiction problem. So, you know, I can bring almost everything back to healthcare if you give me a chance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, well, let's go ahead. I think we hopefully this coming week will be more about people exercising their democratic right to vote and not um, 
fearing for their lives just because they want to practice the First Amendment, um, either through religion, speaking, anything that we uh, cherish in this country is our first in the Bill of Rights. Um, Tim, let's kind of switch gears. Let's bring it back to Georgia, and I believe you have an outrage. We'll uh, listen to that, and then we'll probably discuss it a little bit. Oh, outrage, huh? Brian Kemp. Oh, my goodness. Look, look I, I, I know, and indeed we all know, we are experiencing a time quite unlike anything previous in this country's history. We know what type of person is presently the resident of the White House. We know what he says and does daily. As a result, we now understand the massive significance of what was at the time just another routine morning interview on January 22, 2017. For that was the interview in which Kellyanne Conway introduced us to alternative facts to describe huh, the blatant lies emanating from the White House press room at the time. And we have seen this president, and on record, tell around 5,000 lies in the past three years that he has officially been in the arena, an average of nearly eight lies per day. We have witnessed further the attacks on truth by he and others against the media and others for simply reporting the lies that, that, that he tells. I, I would like at this time to just share a, a couple of lies from, from Donald Trump. He said, quote, I told President Xi that we cannot continue to have China take $500 billion a year out of the U.S. in the form of trade and other things. Trump has repeated this 85 times that we know of, and it's a lie. We have never had anything approaching that kind of trade deficit with China, not even close. Here's another one you might recall. Now, I like NATO, he said. NATO's fine. But you know what? We shouldn't be paying almost the entire cost of NATO to protect Europe. <laughs> well, we don't. We pay 22% as mandated by treaty. Trump lied, and he's publicly told that lie at least 11 times. Now to a personal favorite of mine, which will segue us into the outrage of the week. And Republicans only will always protect patients with pre-existing conditions. Now, he's uttered this lie this very campaign season in multiple stump speeches. And now, incredibly, Brian Kemp, along with almost all Republican candidates in the country that are on the ballot this year, are saying this very thing. Kemp, as a matter of fact, has a new ad that you might have seen on television where he beats this drum. He he, he mentions his daughter having a pre-existing condition, and his wife is sitting there by his side, and they are just shocked that their opponents are saying something else and so forth. Now, the problem with that ad is that it is an outright lie. In fact, Brian Kemp has opposed guaranteed coverage for pre-existing conditions. Kemp has always opposed the Affordable Care Act, um, 
he he said so. Georgia joined a lawsuit which attempted to state that the mandates and coverage for pre-existing conditions was unconstitutional. It went all the way to the Supreme Court. Remember where Justice Roberts saved us on that. You know what else he did? There was a certain Senate Bill 174 introduced during the 2005 session of the Georgia legislature when Kemp was in the state Senate. This bill would have allowed insurance companies to forego guaranteed coverage for multiple pre-existing conditions, and Kemp voted for the bill. You see, in politics, legend is, or legislation rather, it's like the biblical story of Peter's speech betraying him, that you might recall. Only in this case, it's legislation that betrays. Kemp cannot deny this vote. It happened. It is a matter of record. So Kemp is lying. So, too, are all these Republicans. Not one of them voted for the Affordable Care Act. Uh, when it was introduced, not a one. They have since advocated repeal and replace with what we really don't know. They have on 60-plus occasions tried to legislatively repeal the entire Affordable Care Act, including the provisions for those with preexisting conditions. Last year, as you might recall, the famous thumbs down, John McCain alone stopped him in the U.S. Senate from doing that very thing. Kemp is lying. We know that because of what he has said and done in the past. That would be the exact opposite of what he now says. So if Kemp and other Republicans have made this apparent, 180-degree pivot, as they most certainly have, well, then why have they done that? Well, that's easy. They were not, as they discovered to their horror, where the voters are on this issue right now. A new poll done by Fox News, of all people, shows that 54% of likely voters approve of the ACA, 61% of independents favor it, and 79% of voters are very concerned that politicians will end protections for those with pre-existing conditions. It's a very popular item in the Affordable Care Act. So this is what the GOP is faced with and right before an election. Now listen carefully to me here, folks. Historically, Republicans who now inhabit that party are opposed to subsidies and they are opposed to any hint of government involvement in health care. We know this because that's the way they have voted. We know this because they are recorded as having said as much. We know this because they embraced the Tea Party back in 2010, which rose in prominence mainly because of opposition to the Affordable Care Act. So if you believe that all these Republicans from Trump on down to Kemp are telling the truth now, you have no factual basis for doing so. Brian Kemp is lying to you about pre-existing conditions. He has proved that. 
don't believe what he says now, go yourself and look up what he and these other Republicans have said and done in the past. It won't take you long to find it. A wise man that I always admired by the name of H.L. Mencken, nearly 100 years ago, wrote, Free inquiry is blocked by the idiotic certainties of ignorant men. Alternative facts are lies. Don't take Kemp's word. Go yourself and seek the truth. Gets around to what you said about health care, don't it, Catherine? It sure does. Yeah, and, and Tim, this brings me back, and I think when you mentioned what it's going to be about, Brian Kemp originally had on his website seven words uh, about health care. I mean, something like Band-Aids and aspirin are very good. I mean, that's seven words about health care. I mean, you really seven can't words. cover uh, – I mean, seven pages uh, may not adequately cover uh, a subject like health care, maybe on a website, obviously, because you know, we'll have every little detail. But, right. but you could tell that it's just something he kind of – he wants to ignore. He really doesn't – it's just like that's not why I'm running to be governor. It's health care, even though polls consistently show that health care is, if not the number one, definitely pretty much everybody's top three issue. Um, Catherine, why is Brian Kemp wanting to avoid talking about health care seemingly? Well, because he's wrong about it, and, and he doesn't know how to – you know, he's wrong, but he doesn't know how to how to talk about it. He isn't willing to admit what he really thinks. I looked at his site today about uh, about this very thing because I saw that ad again, and I was like, he, you know, he, he kept he kept talking about my plan. So I was like, okay, let's take a look at what his plan is. Of course, he doesn't have a plan. He has, right. you know, some bulleted points of, you know, things that he believes in, and one of them is, you know, bringing more uh, cost-effective, innovative. Uh, plans to Georgia to lower the cost. Well, here's what happens when you bring uh, plans that don't meet the minimum requirements of the Affordable Care Act. So then you get a bunch of people who are relatively healthy, young, buying those less expensive plans. And then, number one, when they get hurt badly or they find that they have a, you know, a a chronic disease or cancer or something, they're not protected. So then, you know, they face all that that encompasses. And then also the plans that do cover those things become more expensive because they don't have this uh, range of, uh, um, of insured people who can, I mean, you know, the whole idea of insurance is that some people pay for pay more than maybe they should, and then some people get more. That, that's the way it works. That's what insurance is about. So um, we risk losing care for the people who really need it because the costs go up because the people who may not need it as badly now are paying. So it's all. I think what happens is they just don't understand how insurance works. They don't know what it means. They don't understand it. So um, it's all bad. He's he's a liar. Yeah. And 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 did you are, are we going to talk about the debate? Did we watch, did everybody watch it? 
Um, I did, well, we, we, yeah. we can. Yeah, we, we can go ahead and okay, talk well, about it. And Catherine, let's go. let you have the first crack. Tell us about the debate. Just overview. Well, it was pretty funny at the beginning because the fire alarm went off like two minutes into the debate. I think the first question had been asked, and all of a sudden it starts buzzing. So that was a little break for everybody, which I think probably served um, Stacey Abrams well. I think it gave her a chance to sort of um, relax a little bit. She seemed a little nervous at first, but I, I thought she was ultimately um, answered all the questions very well. I, I, I felt, Tim, you might, I'd like you to comment on this. I felt a little bit like um, the Libertarian candidate and Kemp were uh, kind of beating up on Stacey. Did you feel that way, or am I just biased? Yeah, I thought, I thought especially early in the debate that it, it was almost as if they were ganging up. Now, a little while later, Kemp and the Libertarian uh, took off after each other a little bit. But early on, you're right. You were not imagining that. Yeah, I felt like they were sort of um, like I felt like Metz was really trying to get in there for a runoff. Um, but who knows? I, I thought yeah, well, he won't make the well runoff. For, <laughs> no, he right, won't, but of course. Uh, of course. Um, but I, I thought it went well. I thought um, Stacy was as always, very um, informed and um, eloquent. Kemp uh, just kept saying the same things over and over, you know, uh, illegals, and I have three daughters. That's what I kept hearing. Did you know that he had three daughters? Yeah, <laughs> yeah only about well, 20 he must have said times, that. yeah. <laughs> I know, he said it like well, 40 yeah. times. I'm like... Okay, we get it. Stacey Abrams isn't married, and she doesn't have any children. Okay. Well, well, I, hey, that's the good news. The general election, Brian Kemp has three daughters. The 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 primary, Brian Kemp just had a truck and dynamite. So at least he's well, expanding. <laughs> I mean, he's becoming a little more relatable. I, I mean, he it's, at least he's speaking about humans, uh, not explosives and, and material objects. So uh, he's making progress. Maybe about like the governor's race. Um, uh, 2026 or, or whatever year that comes up again in a few, he might be actually a little closer. Um, well, <laughs> one thing I want to ask you about debates is when we have a presidential debate, it is, you know, viewing, everybody watches it, uh, you know, it gets great ratings. But seemingly over the course of the past 20 years, let's just say, these local debates have become basically people that are very involved in politics and probably know exactly where they stand. Um, that's who really watches and breaks down and thinks about the debates. Um, and I wanted to know if y'all thought there was a way if maybe they coordinated around the country, like said, hey, on Tuesday night at 8 o'clock, we're going to preempt um, – you know, whatever program on ABC or NBC or even all the networks, and every state that has a statewide, um, you know, governor's race, Senate race, whatever it may be, and I know all states are a little different. Um, you know, Louisiana doesn't really have anything statewide, for instance. They could show um, a debate and maybe kind of get more people watching, particularly voters that are either undecided, persuadable, whatever it may be, because to me the whole thought of these debates is is for people that are 
somewhat on the fence to see the two candidates and evaluate and see which one they want to vote for. Tim, am I crazy? Well, no. You know, I I, I can recall very. I, I was sitting here thinking of the uh, gubernatorial debates in uh, 1970. So between Jimmy Carter and uh, Carl Sanders and uh, just a bunch of other people who were also involved in those debates, there was a lot thirteen or fourteen candidates. J.B. Stoner was even was even there. With Channel Two preempted their prime time programming to show the gubernatorial debates, and there was a great deal of interest in it, and it was well watched by people here in Georgia. There was a lot of talk about it, but that sort of thing doesn't seem to go on anymore, especially with, like, uh, stations that don't want to preempt their primetime programming. For instance, Channel 2, I believe, is now rated the number one ABC affiliate in the United States, and I'm sure ABC does not want their programming preempted by a local debate, and probably they have something to say about it in their contract with, with, with Channel 2. And so a lot of that sort of thing might go on. And so as a result, these things are, are not, not that I'm belittling public broadcasting, but they don't get the numbers of viewers that the big city uh, stations like Channel 2, Channel 11, or one of them would get. And so less people are watching them. And uh, as you mentioned, they're scattered out all over the country and their own different nights, and they just go on and on and on and on and on. And uh, the waters just get a little muddied, I guess. Yeah, and and that's why I said it would almost have to be a – hey, we're not going to run a new episode of the Goldbergs on ABC or Magnum P.I. on CBS. We're just – it's going to be um, – every station can have what they want. And I know there's some places really tricky, like a Minnesota. You have two Senate races and a governor's race, um, whereas mm-hmm. we just have a governor's race. Texas has a governor's and a, a Senate race, and you'd have to figure out some formula, maybe over the course of a few weeks or if you did different networks. Um, for each, like, governor's races will be this time, Senate races will be this time, Minnesota, we guess you just going to say not have any new TV because you got so many races on the ballot. Um, but it just seems like there'd be some civic way to, to do better. Catherine, your thoughts? Um, I, I appreciate the idea, but I think it's hard to sort of uh, legislate uh, civic engagement. I think you have to uh, find, I mean, I, I think we it, it has to start before the debates. You have to get people uh, interested in what's happening, and therefore begin demanding something like this, and have the you know television respond to it, or you know give PBS some uh, viewers because they're running it. Um, lately, I've been talking to a lot of people, just random people, about voting. And um, the other day I was in a lift and I asked the lift driver if she'd voted yet. And she said, no, she doesn't like to vote. She doesn't ever vote. She's never voted. And I, I, so I kind of talked with her for a while and she had a lot of opinions. She just said that she didn't feel like she knew enough about the candidates and she didn't know how to find out. And um, she just didn't think she, it, it just wasn't part of something that interested her. 
I think I convinced her a little bit that it was important, but I don't think I don't think I sold her. Um, so I think people that it's it's a big deal that people don't understand the process and they don't feel like they know enough to vote. So I don't think watching one debate is going to help that. I think we have to, like I said, I think you have to start earlier. You have to we have to engage people way before it's time to vote. And then maybe they'll well, be I, interested to see what's happening on these, with these debates. I mean, I don't think it's a bad idea. I just, I'm not sure it's going to work. People are going to DVR their show from the night before and watch that instead. I mean, I know they can, but sometimes if you make something seem like a big deal, I mean, it's the reason the Super Bowl gets as many viewers as it does. It gets people that aren't, uh, you know, football fans because it seems like, oh, it's the thing to do. And I think in a lot of ways the presidential – uh, debates kind of get that, oh, yeah, everybody's going to be talking about it. Well, if you made it to where, um, oh, yeah, everybody in my state's going to be talking about the debate from last night for Senate, governor, whatever it may be. I mean, to me, uh, we, we shouldn't give up on the uh, democracy. I, I guess since we've I've read that book and we've had Dr. Levitsky on, I, I keep thinking of these bigger democratic questions, not the party, but the process that's for both parties, is how do we have a better democracy? And to me, getting people involved, letting people feel like they have choices, because right now we're so divided and everybody thinks, uh, oh, well, after the primary, that's it. Um, we, we just have to – something's broken, and we have to look at ways to fix it. Um, and the events that we spoke about at the top of the show lets you know how broken everything is um, and what have you. Um, Tim, did you have another thought, or will you move on to our last topic? Well, you know, even even at the presidential level, Catherine talked about disengagement. There's about 220 million people in this country that that are adult and could vote if they would register. 28% of those adults is what voted for Donald Trump. 28% of the adults in this country put that man in the White House. That's how disengaged we are. We we pale in comparison in engagement to, to other countries with even worse forms of government. Uh, uh, the, the people here don't re- recognize the very freedom that they have to to vote and and don't engage and it is it's really sad to see and it seems like the younger they are the the less engaged they are doesn't it? Maybe so and and obviously the you know, younger groups are always less likely to vote and hopefully they pick right. up pace and get older. Yep. Um, well let's let's talk about people that are taking advantage of that. We, we, we listed in one of our topics where we thinking about talking about was early vote and how it's going. And basically, almost everywhere you hear about that has early voting, uh, Dr. Michael McDonald from University of Florida, um, he does a great job of, of both on a website and his Twitter feed and how everything's exploding. And all these places, they're, ha- they're just surpassing, if not presidential years, certainly four years ago. Um, and you just keep seeing, you know, it's Nevada, Texas, Georgia, Indiana, um, a report came out today about the county that Indianapolis is in, um, already surpassed the total. Um, Catherine, uh, are you seeing the same reports, and what do you think that means? Um, how many people have voted early already? Yeah, I am seeing, I mean, I think we're seeing, you know, incredible um, 
upswings here in Georgia. Um, I early voted this week. I don't usually early vote, but I decided that I might be busy on election day, so I went I went ahead and did it, and it was easy and quick. Like it took five minutes. There was no line. Um, I'm not sure what it means. What I hope it means is that we have a lot of people who are um, newly engaged and decided to take advantage of the convenience and um, the convenience of early voting. I'm ho- that's what I'm hoping. I hope it's not just a bunch of people who always vote going to vote early instead of voting on election day. Uh, but time will tell, and I'm sure the numbers show it. I just haven't studied them. But that's always that's always my concern is that it's, it's people like me who decided, oh, you know, I usually vote on election day. I'm going to vote early. Um, I hope it's not people like me. Well, I, and, and actually, Tim, I've you, heard a political consultant that knew about it, and they said even if it is people that are going to vote anyway, they vote. Still, then people can say, oh, they've already voted. We don't have to worry about them. We can then target harder-to-reach voters. So it's really not a bad thing, even if you're a reliable voter, to vote early. It, it then lets political parties then target um, harder-to-reach groups. Tim? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, you. I, I look around, and, and they're saying anywhere between 8 and 11 million people have voted as of as of Friday, um, like NBC said eight new york times said 11 um we know that the breakdown uh, in states where they have party registration was like uh 44 40 16 favoring the republicans uh of course a lot of the democratic areas have not reported yet especially like the west coast and, and that sort of thing um two states that I want to hone in on, Nevada and Arizona, because they're both going to be very close, and three-fourths of the voters in those states are projected to vote early. Um, wow. John Ralston out in out in uh, Nevada, who is the word on, on this in Nevada, says uh, that the Democrats have a lead statewide of about 5,000 votes so far. Um, which sounds pretty good for our side there. Uh, Steve Shale down in Florida who works for, uh, I believe, either the St. Petersburg or Tampa paper, and is supposed to be like one of the the, the top guns in the state uh, on this subject, says that over 2 million people have already voted as of Friday in Florida. Uh, the Republicans generally jump out to a lead there. They got about a 60,000 vote lead now. Don't panic, though. In 2014, that lead was like 150,000. And as Election Day approaches, the lead will get less and less and less. Um, in Florida, unlike other states, the Republicans need a big early vote lead because of the absentee votes amongst elderly voters there. Seventy-four percent of that vote is white. He said if it goes below 70 percent, the Republicans are going to lose. Um, that's that's just a couple of the thoughts I had on the early voting so far, along with the usual warnings of people not to overread things into it. But uh, that that's what's going uh, We do know they're voting in record numbers. We do know that they're doing that in this state. 
So yeah, and and Florida in general, and we would we're going to discuss this with Doug. So let's go ahead and mention it since next week we've already got earmarked for Texas. Um, more talk. Uh, Andrew Gilliam, he seems to just be completely pulling away, and either that's caused Bill Nelson to decide to pick up the pace and run beside him, or he's just dragging Bill Nelson along with him. But it really <laughs> looks like uh, Democrats are in those two statewide races are going to win and win without much of a problem. Um, and then they may even pull some more House seats in, and at where Donna Shalala really had many, many more struggles than anybody would have predicted. Uh, maybe that this momentum kind of pulls her house seat through along with some others. Um, Catherine, what have you heard out of Florida? What are you reading? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I love the numbers for Gilliam and uh, Nelson, so let's hope that that holds. Yeah. Tim? Well, Gillum is running a three to five point lead, and we'll go ahead and give Gravis a shout out. Their latest poll shows him with a fifty one forty six lead, and he does seem to be pulling the rest of the ticket up with him. Uh, Nelson's running uh, about a three three and a half point lead himself, and it's solid in every poll. So it's looking very hopeful down there with a week to go. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Gillum just looks like a really dynamic candidate. And then I think he got to expose Ron DeSantis is not a very good candidate. No, um, he's not. He, the, the, the primary ads that he ran really got pinned on him um, in a big way. It, it was the way to win the primary, but not the way to win the general. So I actually think that um, the other two candidates may have also won this race. But uh, Gillum has done it in such a striking fashion that I think he's really not only going to raise his profile, obviously, in Florida, but he may even raise it nationally. Although I get the sense he actually wants to be Florida governor and serve the people of Florida um, anyway. So um, until next week, um, been the Cozy Vine. Good night, guys. Good night, y'all. Good night, everybody. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people.